Welcome to Farm Chica's podcast, focusing on the forbidden fruit, that awesome fruit that we all know, apples, and what you can do with those abundance of apples on your backyard farm or homestead, or hey, if you go apple picking, I'll give you some ideas on how to process those. Welcome to Farm Chica, the podcast dedicated to providing a holistic model for promoting sustainable lifestyles and ways to engage in traditional methods of homesteading. Join me, Rene Delgado Riley, a native-born New Mexican, as I share how I respect Mother Nature through easy-to-apply tips that anyone can do. Through this podcast, I hope to inspire you to tap into your ancestral roots and live a more traditional simple life that focuses on sustainability and respect to the earth. So join me as I share 20 to 30 minute tips that anyone can do. There is no other fruit that pops up as frequently as an apple does in Western art, literature, and everyday speech. An apple, cuttingly labeled as the fairest, started the Trojan War. The Norse gods owed their immortality to apples. The Arabian Nights features a magic apple, which is capable of curing all human diseases, predating the belief that an apple a day will keep the doctor away, a proverb that first appeared in print in 1866. Folks as Robert Frost, Christina Rossetti, and Dylan Thomas all wrote poems about apples, and everyone from Caravaggio to Marguerite painted them. So ironically, where the apple does not show up as the forbidden fruit is in the Old Testament, you know, the book of Genesis, for those who are following any of the original monotheistic religions, the original story of Adam, Eve, the snake, and the forbidden tree of knowledge of good and evil mentions only an unspecified fruit, thus opening up centuries-old debate about what really did Adam and Eve eat. There's been various suggestions to include everything from grapes, olives, apricots, possibly pomegranates, figs. There's even debates about where the exact location of the Garden of Eden was, whether it was from Turkey to Ohio to Mongolia, North Pole, anywhere in the entire world. It appears that the apple became seen as the forbidden fruit and it began to appear in Western Europe, at least in the 12th century. And likely the apple became known as the forbidden fruit, probably because of a misunderstanding. There are two unrelated words, native and Latin, which mean evil. And one of the adjectives is malice, which is another Latin noun borrowed from Greek, which means apple. Actually, there's been a lot of research and debates that actually the tree of good and of knowledge of good and evil was actually a fig tree because the Bible states that in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, when they consumed this apple and realized of their nakedness, they began to make their own fig leaf clothing. So where else would they get fig leaves from? But that's not the purpose of the podcast. The purpose of the podcast is to talk about what we know as apples. So apples are part of the rose family, along with some other yummy edibles, such as pears, peaches, cherries, strawberries, and raspberry. And DNA analysis and genetics indicate that apples originated in the mountains of Kazakhstan, where wild apples 
which we consider the great-great-grandparents of the modern domesticated apple, actually still flourish. So although these apples still grow wild, there is something to say about domestication. In more civilized places, apples aren't necessarily that sour, and if they are, they're just the right kind of tart. But the wild apples provide a spirited bite that's sour enough to set a squirrel's teeth on edge and make a jay scream, according to Henry David Thoreau. And the truth is, wild apples grown from seeds are generally pretty awful and don't taste very good. There's a lot of genetic diversity in apples. So, for example, any apples that are grown from their parents actually may not be anything like their parents. It's just a genetic difference. This is great for evolution, really producing thousands of diverse apple varieties adapted to every environment from the United States to New Zealand. However, this proves difficult for anyone who's farming or growing apples um, with the intent on preserving those selected favorites that you enjoy that year. Um, the apple slippery genome can be very frustrating. So the only guarantee of reproducibility in apples is what we call grafting, which is how all our modern eating apples are propagated. Most of the apples grown in the United States of America today came over with some of the early European colonists. And actually some of our original apples being grown were not necessarily for eating or for pies, but in fact used for cider making. And in fact, there was no grafting happening. Um, John Chapman of Leo Minster, Massachusetts, actually went around and provided some of these seeds to different places all over the colonies and all over into Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois, and really just distributed these seedlings everywhere. However, because they were so tart and they weren't exactly great eating apples, they were obviously made into cider or applejack, aka apple brandy. And the poor apple just began to get even more of a bad reputation. So eventually, the temperous activists fingered the apple as the source of alcoholic sin and demanded that the morally upright burn their apple trees down. So if it wasn't just for being the forbidden fruit of Adam and Eve in the Old Testament, it now was being burned down because of the alcoholic sin attached to the apple. Regardless of apple's bad reputation, apples are arguably the most familiar fruit in the world. They're grown in temperate environments around the globe, and its history is deeply intertwined with humanity. During the classical art period, there are lots of large red fruits representing apples, that domesticated apples were present and part of the culture over two millennial ago. And all these early trees were obviously grown from seed, but they're definitely, without a doubt, part of our culture. Some recent genetic studies have demonstrated that the modern apple is actually a hybrid of at least four wild apple populations. And researchers have really kind of come up with a hypothesis that the Silk Road trade routes were responsible for bringing these fruits together. And today in the United States, apples are the number one fruit consumed and are grown in at least 32 states for commercial uses. And the United States trails only China on the list of leading global producers of apples. According to the Trade Association, over 5,000 producers operate commercial apple orchards across the United States. 
That's roughly 322,000 acres planted, producing 240 million bushels of apples annually. And with 20% of that being exported, the other 80% remains and is processed domestically. Most of the fruit is consumed as fresh fruit, apple products, but then other things are made into applesauce, apple butter, ciders, canned apple products, and just to name a few things. However, since the mid-20th century in the United States, the apple farming has provided just a narrow focus on a small list of varietals, such as the Red Delicious, Granny Smith, and Macintosh. These varieties in the apple industry are cornerstones of U.S. production. But as fresh fruit has become more of a popular snack, and the way that we consume apples, the popularity of these varieties are waning. For example, these were bred mainly for yield, fruit size, and color rather than flavor. So as that starts to fade, younger consumers are going to be driving the demand for more premium varieties such as Gala, Honeycrisp, Yellow Delicious, Jonathan Apples, Fuji's, Gravenstein's, Yellow Delicious are amazing. I don't really eat apples because they don't sit well with my stomach, but Yellow Delicious, they just ripen on the tree and it's like biting into sugar. Overall, the domestic apple market in the U.S. has remained extremely strong and projects to get even stronger. Apple farming's popularity and wide geographic reach has been enabled by the apple's ability to thrive in a variety of conditions. And that being said, most U.S. production is concentrated in northern latitudes to give those trees requirement for that annual chill of the winter, the chilling hours. And today, the top states for production are Washington, New York, and Michigan. And they can have harvest seasons that begin as early as July and end as late as November, with the peak season usually occurring in October. But it just depends on the varietal that you're growing. Apple trees thrive really well in a range of soil types from really sand-like places to clay. And really, they perform best just like any other fruit tree in soils that are well-drained and high in organic matter. The root systems of an apple tree tend to be shallow, meaning that soils rich in organic matter. And because of their superior structure and water holding capacity, they can actually provide better uptake of water by the trees regardless of whether the water arrives through irrigation or rainfall. So apples are just really well adapted to different places and they do really, really well. And again, just with most water trees, you want to prevent water logging because you really just want good soil drainage because this can actually be harmful to the crop and it can create cause blights such as crown rot and really impact your yield of apples. And with any kind of permanent crop that you're planting on your property, Apple trees really take a while to mature. So dwarf varietals usually won't reach their full productive capacity until five to six years after planting, and the taller the standard trees will take even longer. And most apple trees in production today are not made from seeds. They You actually graft trees that allow disease apple breeders to raise cuttings that anyone can use without the need to raise a tree from a seed because of that genetic diversity with every apple tree. It's just best to ensure consistency by grafting those trees. And there's been a recent emergence of focusing on breeding hardier varietals as well as focusing on celebrating those heirloom varietals as well. 
So now that you've heard a little bit more about the forbidden fruit and its awesome history as part of humanity, if you decide to grow an apple tree or have one on your farm, homestead, or backyard, what are you going to do with all those apples once you start getting fruit? Well, there's a lot to do, and I think the number one thing people most think about is take it off the tree and eat it, and that's the best way to eat fresh fruit is right off the tree. Most of the fruit you see in your grocery stores, they have to pick them early because during transportation with that fruit, they'll get all mushy and consumers will not purchase those mushy fruits. So the best way that you can get the freshest, most ripe piece of fruit is on your own tree. Or if you go to a friend's family's or you go to a local farm where they have you pick it, that's the best way to eat apples. Okay, well, that's great. Fresh fruit's always great. And actually, apples um, have a pretty good shelf life. And actually, there are certain varietals of apples that are called winter apples that you pick like late in October and November, and you actually store them in, in, in a certain way with sawdust, and they'll actually last all winter long. However, most apples are not winter apples. <laughs> so if you're not able to consume all those apples, <laughs> fresh fruit, there are different things that you can do with apples. Well, the first one is applesauce, obviously. Homemade applesauce is much better than anything you're going to find in a jar. Um, also, I've seen lots of applesauce recipes over time where you can incorporate vanilla bean and bourbon and really have that great fall flavor with uh, cinnamon and nutmeg. And there's just so much you can do. And really, um, I would suggest getting some type of apple pillar. Um, that is what you need. Um, invest in one. They have them online or you can go uh, to a local store and purchase one. They have hand crake ones. They even have ones that you can put on KitchenAid mixers. There's lots of different apple um, pillars and cores out there, but I definitely suggest that you have something. And so when you're making um, applesauce, um, you want to peel those and get everything together and you want to puree everything and you want to cook it down. So this is my method. I take all that pureed apples that I've like pureed in a food processor or blender and I add a little bit of cinnamon and just a little bit of sugar to that. And this is probably, let's just say about 14 pounds of apples. Um, and I just kind of get it warmed up and then I ladle that into sanitized jelly jars or eight ounce jars, whatever size you want to use. Now, there are other methods out there where you can literally take the apples and wash them and then cut them into chunks and throw them all in a saucepan and you add a bunch of water in there to kind of cook out the apple pieces and then basically you take that hot apple stuff after it's kind of been in that pot for about 10 minutes and you put it through a food strainer or a food mill and you take out all those seeds um, and you really smooth out that sauce. To me, that's just a little bit too much work. The only um, time that I will do something like that is if I'm extracting the juice. And that's uh, what I'll talk about in a little bit for like some hard cider and some other things that you can do with your apples. So in my case, just for every 14 pounds of apples, peel them, core them, slice them, take those slices, puree them. And you can add a little bit of water, but you really don't need a lot and put that in a saucepan and add a little bit of sweetener. You could even use honey um, or cinnamon and some sugar just to give it some flavor. Cook that, ladle it in hot jars, and then water bath can that anywhere from 10 minutes to 15 minutes, depending on your altitude. So another great recipe that I really opt for is apple butter. 
mainly because this is, it almost cooks down to like a caramel and it's just an amazing, um, con like texture and everybody loves apple butter. You can actually use apple butter just on toast, or you can actually use it in different recipes, um, in place of a lot of different things. And it's really great for even an apple slicing your apples and adding the apple butter over and then making like a crisp topping out of like oatmeal, flour, sugar, and some butter and baking that. And there you go. You have an easy dessert, but apple butter. Um, I really like to use a slow cooker, AKA crock pot for this. It just makes it easy. Um, for every six and a pound, six and a half pounds of apples. Again, I peel and core my apples and get them all taken care of and cleaned and and because apples oxidize very quickly, what I like to do is when I'm peeling and slicing those apples, I'll have a large bowl with about a half cup of lemon juice with some cool water. And so as I'm peeling them and slicing them, I can just put those slices right in there and that just helps keep them from browning. Um, so for every six and a half pounds of peeled and chopped apples, you want to put that in the crock pot along with a cup of brown sugar and a cup of white sugar. Um, my last recipe I made, I actually substituted my brown sugar for maple sugar, believe it or not. They actually have maple sugar, which is basically you take maple syrup, cook it down, and you have the sugar. So I, I went ahead and put that in there. And then I added in a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of nutmeg, and then a quarter teaspoon salt. I put that, I mixed it all in and put it on the slow cooker for 10 hours on low. And really um, just watch it um, because if it's obviously looking like it's cooking down faster, you don't want it to burn. Um, and then after 10 hours, I uncover it and I add in a tablespoon of vanilla extract. And then I kind of let it simmer for another two hours. And then you can take an immersion blender or you can put all those apples and yumminess into a food processor or blender and process that up. And you have this really thick, caramel-like consistency. And that is what you can ladle into jelly jars and water bath can those for 10 to 15 minutes, depending on your altitude. So that's a really easy recipe, very hands-off. Um, I think the hardest part is peeling and slicing and coring your apples. And of course, the best recipe that I think of every time I look at apples, and I don't, like I said, I, I can't really eat apples. The sugar just doesn't process well with me, but I admire them. I cook with them. I share them. And I still love this fruit, even if I don't personally consume it. So apple pie. And although there are some varieties that are better for apple pie, honestly, my MO for all my apple recipes is to take a variety of all types of apples. But here are some that are recommended for pie baking, which are Granny Smith, Golden Delicious, which is that bell and sweet tart flavor, Jonah Gold, Honey Crisp. Rayburn and Pink Lady. Those are highly recommended as being great apples for pie baking. But again, I usually just mix mine all together. Um, so what's really great is you can use any kind of crust that you want. Um, you can do a double pie crust or you can just do a single pie crust and do kind of that Dutch kind of crumble topping. It's really your preference. But you want about have about two and a quarter pounds of apples peeled, cored. Um, roughly, it's about six to seven apples, and that comes out to about seven cups thinly sliced. Again, I really love an apple peeler and slicer because it'll do all the hard work for you. And you'll want some type of thickener in your pie just because apples have a lot of water. Um, so there are different methods to this. Um, 
Some people melt down some butter and add in some flour and make like a roux and add a little bit of water and sugar and kind of make this thickener kind of almost like a, a it's not a gravy, but like a roux sauce, a thickener. Um, you could do the same thing with cornstarch. Uh, you can do the same thing with tapioca starch and then they have clear and there's lots of things out there. Um, but I just recommend um, taking eight tablespoons of butter, unsalted preferably, um, letting that melt down over medium heat in a medium saucepan and whisking in three tablespoons of cornstarch. You can use flour. Um, I just opt for cornstarch and then you'll whisk in a quarter cup of water a cup of sugar and bring that to a boil and you'll just reduce the heat and continue simmering for three minutes whisking frequently to remove and then remove it from the heat. Uh, once you peel and core and slice those apples, place them in a large bowl, sprinkle the top with some cinnamon, toss to combine. Um, you can add a little lemon juice just so you can prevent some browning. And once you have your crust prepared, you'll just add this apple mixture kind of molding it slightly in the center and just being careful not to get the filling on the edges, which make it difficult to seal if you're doing a double crust. I kind of go back and forth. Sometimes I really like that lattice top crust and then other times I just really like the look of the Dutch crumb cover. And so it's really your preference. And you want to bake that pie at 425 for 15 minutes. And this is 425 degrees Fahrenheit. Then you're going to want to reduce the heat to 350 degrees Fahrenheit and continue baking for 45 minutes or until those apples are soft, the filling is bubbly, and it just looks really, really good. An additional thing too, right before you bake it, you can um, take um, just a few cubes of butter and place those over the pie filling before you put on either your, your top crust, your lattice crust, or your Dutch uh, kind of crumble topping. It's really your preference. It just adds some more flavor to the pie. And if you have a farm and a homestead and you're overrun with apples, and trust me, <laughs> my hands still hurt from pilling all the apples recently on the farm. So I suggest um, canning some of this stuff so it makes it easier for you when you're preparing Thanksgiving meal and you need to come up with a um, extra dessert and say you're not going to make a pumpkin pie, you can make an apple pie. And if you have some canned pie filling, it just makes it 10 times easier for you to make a pie. So for this, um, for every six pounds of apples, peeled, cored, and sliced, again, I place them in a large bowl with lemon juice and cool water. Um, and what I do while I'm <laughs> getting everything prepped is in a large pan, like a pot, I mix my four and a half cup sugar. This is for six pounds of apples. I mix a cup of cornstarch. I mix just your preference of cinnamon and nutmeg, and then I add two teaspoons of salt and 10 cups of water. And what I'm gonna do is bring that to a boil just until it thickens up um, and just get it kind of like just thick, almost like a, it's not gonna be super, super thick, but just enough. Uh, meanwhile, you may wanna make sure you have sterilized canning jars, and I usually like to use uh, quartz for this. So once you peel, core, and slice those apples and they're in that large bowl with lemon juice, I just kind of take the apples and pack the sliced apples into the quart-sized jar, leaving about, um, you know, a half inch of head space. Then I fill those jars with that hot syrup liquid and I kind of take a butter knife and just kind of put the butter knife in there just to get rid of some of those air bubbles. And then I water bath can that for 20 minutes. But if you're at altitude, I recommend um, 30 to 35 minutes. 
So there you go. You have lots of things that can last you through the winter with apples. And the world of Google has everything um, for desserts. So from apple cakes to apple stuffing to apple cider donuts to caramel apple, the list goes on. But I do want to talk a little bit about how to make cider, um, whether you make it hard cider or you just do cider. So it's a really great recipe. And I know that apples already have a bad reputation, but in my book, they're really, really good in hard cider. But the first step of that is you need apple cider. And unless you have a fancy expensive press, this isn't going to come easy. So if you do have a full production, you should have an apple press, an electronically powered apple press, preferably just to kind of make it easier for you. But usually with any like 15 pounds of apples, I can take them, peel them and core them. And what I'll do is I'll um, put them in a large pot with water um, and I'll drain out most of the liquid, not all of it. And I'll kind of let them cook on there for a while just to get some of the um, flavors out. And then what I do is I take those hot, soft apples and I strain them through a cheesecloth or a giant sieve specifically a chinois and I usually take like a smasher and I'm smashing the apples to go through just so I can get as much juice out so essentially that mush can be fed like if you have chickens like that's a great snack for the chickens to have because I have chickens and so um, what you'll do is you'll get all that juice out and that's your apple cider so um, if you want to make it really tasty you can put it back in a stock pot or saucepan on the stove or in a crock pot and add Mauline spices, or you can add cinnamon and nutmeg. And if you want to add a little bit of sweetener, but honestly, if you pick apples pretty fresh, they're pretty sugary as it is. Um, so there's your cider. Now, if you want to make that cider hard, I suggest getting a one gallon um, demijohn, funneling that cider into that one gallon, or I've actually made it in half gallons before. And what you want to do is take the potassium metasulbite and you want to kill the wild yeast. So um, actually, before you do that, <laughs> you want to add some sugar. So there are lots of hard sugar recipe, I mean, hard cider recipes out there. And I suggest you Google one because it's really dependent on the preference of your cider. I really like dried cider. So um, I like my yeast to eat all the sugar. And so a drier cider is going to have more alcohol per volume than a sweeter cider. So like Angry Orchard is too sweet for me. I would never drink an Angry Orchard cider just because it's super sweet. I like more of a dried cider. So really find a recipe because you're going to want to base the amount of sugar based on your preference. And then we can get into the carbonation piece. So all hard cider is is apple wine essentially, but it doesn't take nearly as long as other fruit wines. So for example, the peach wine that I make takes at least six months from primary fermentation to bottling. The elderberry wine took over a year to just bottle and it's not even ready to drink yet. It still needs at least six months more of aging. And so that's quite a bit of time. However, apple wine, aka hard cider, is usually done in a matter of three to four weeks. It's actually a pretty quick way to make some hard cider. So you filter that into that demijohn, you kill the wild yeast um, after you add your sugar, and 24 hours later, you're gonna add 
um, a yeast. You can just go to your brew shop or online and find anything for hard cider. There's lots of things out there. There's great yeasts out there and they're all um, specified and created to make the best hard cider. And so what you're going to do is pitch your yeast in there and then you can add some like pectic enzyme and yeast energizer, just things to kind of get your yeast going. And then you want to put on a airlock on that demijohn, which is like a one gallon, or if you're using a half gallon, you can do a fermenting lid or just a way to make sure that it's airtight and you have an anaerobic environment. And so you're going to let that sit for about five to seven days. And once it's kind of done with that, um, phase is where you're going to, and honestly, I will mention that depending on your environment, if it's cooler or warmer, it could actually take anywhere from two to four weeks. Um, and really you'll know when it's ready to bottle, which is the next step when it just stops bubbling. And so what you're going to do is you're then going to, um, funnel, um, that yummy goodness into your bottles. Um, they have these specific, beer bottles, hard cider bottles online that you're going to need um, because you are going to do some slight carbonation. And sometimes when you bottle things, you'll get this sentiment in any kind of wine or anything, but it won't hurt you. And actually that sentiment is full of B vitamins. So don't worry if you get that in your bottle, it, it's not going to bother you or hurt you. I always say it's like the fruit pulp. And unlike other types of fruit wines, hard cider just needs to age for a bit, but not super long. And so once you bottle it, um, it's definitely going to continue to add flavors. Um, some things that I do to add a little bit of carbonation to mine. So you could just bottle it, put it in this, and then throw it in the fridge, and it's totally fine. However, the yeast, when it stops bubbling, it's because it has no more food but you can add a little bit carbonation to your hard cider if you do a slight back sweetening. And so what that means is prior to you bottling that, you make a, um, some type of syrup on the stove. And I don't do a lot. I usually, for a gallon, I'll usually do like a quarter cup of sugar with a quarter cup water. I'll dissolve that, make a simple syrup, and I'll strain it into the jug. And then so as I bottle it, for about a few days or up to a week, just depending on how it's going, um, I'm re-energizing the yeast and it's starting to act more active. And so what it's doing is it's adding um, CO2 into that environment that is airtight because of that lock on those special bottles. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my huge canning pot and I'm going to get it really warm to hundred and. 60 degrees and no more than 185 degrees. And so once you get up to that temperature, you want to take it off the stove. You don't want it on an active burner. And then after those bottles have sat for, I usually do about a week, I place them in there and I cover it with its lid off the stove for about 15 minutes. And what's that's doing? And I will mention that if you don't do this, um, or at least place those bottles in the fridge, what's going to happen is that that sugar that you back sweetened with, with it's going to continue to do produce CO two, and what's going to happen is you're going to have a bomb, a bottle bomb go off, and so you don't want that. And so some other things you can do is you can just add the potassium metasulfite into the the liquid, and it actually stops fermentation. Um, 
And the process of pasteurizing, what I'm talking about now, is when you place those bottles in this large pot off the stove with 160 to 185 degrees covered for 15 minutes, what you're doing is pasteurizing and you're basically telling the yeast to stop working. You're kind of killing it. And so you can safely keep that bottle at room temperature without exploding. The same goes if you put that bottle in the fridge, but depending on how much you're making, you may not have enough room in your fridge. So just think of this as sending your yeast to yeast heaven and putting them to rest. And that way they don't have to worry about bottle explosion. And lastly, another simple recipe that you can do with all those apples is just, if you have a dehydrator or you can do this in your oven, is you can do some nice apple slices or apple chips. And so what you do, same process of every other preparation apple recipe, is you wanna peel those, slice those, core those. Um, I usually soak them. I take about a cup of lemon juice with about four cups of cool water and I soak all the apples in there and really they don't really need any sugar but if you wanted to add a little bit um you know a quarter cup couldn't hurt and I kind of just let them soak for about 15 to 20 minutes and then I lay those out on my dehydrator trees and I usually dry those anywhere from 8 to 12 hours depending at 135 depending on your dehydrator or at your lowest setting on your oven 150 degrees you can just dry those. Basically, it's just enough to evaporate all the liquid out. And that is your apple chips that you can store in a Ziploc bag. You can send, um, you can have for lunch, good afternoon snack, or you can send with your kids for their lunches. So just another way to use your apples. And I'm just excited. And thank you for listening to Farm Chica's podcast on apples. And I hope that you learned a little bit on how to use all those apples and maybe were inspired to plant a tree of your own or just explore other varieties besides the traditional ones that we've seen uh, for most of our lives. And so I hope that you'll be adventurous and try a new variety of apple. I hope you'll be adventurous and do some canning and preserving of that great fruit. And with that, from my heart to yours, thanks for listening to the podcast today, and I hope that you have a good rest of your day.